You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Ferrini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. And as we like to do on the Regent College Podcast, we like to just, you know, not just have one conversation with one person on a one-off and then never speak to them again. So Susan Phillips is back on the podcast today. Uh, and she's, again, a longtime friend of Regent and has served in various capacities here at Regent and has taught classes here in different ways um, over the years and is the executive director at New College in Berkeley. And Dr. Phillips is keenly interested in how we live out faith in our daily life, drawing insight from a diverse fields of the social sciences and biblical spirituality and practical theology. She's a sociologist uh, and she also is a spiritual director. And we were talking with Susan about spiritual practices and how we understand spiritual practices, both individually, but more than that, how do we understand them corporately? And um, there's, these are the sorts of things I feel like in the church now there is a little bit of a recovering of how do we understand spiritual practices and kind of rules of life, perhaps, or those sorts of things, definitely in the church in North America, at least. And so... Uh, it's really interesting to talk to someone like Susan as she's been thinking about these things for a long time and what does it what does it look like to have a, both an individual and a corporate spiritual practice of various things. Yeah, and Susan just has a piece about her that is very calming and she is a great listener. She's been trained in listening too, which I pray and hope that myself and we and our listeners can learn from in our spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So friends, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Susan Phillips. Susan Phillips, welcome back to the Regent College podcast. Thank you. It's a delight to be here again. It's good to have you. Nick and I, have. Um, we, were, we were just joking before we started recording that we've asked Susan some really difficult questions and then it became clear that actually <laughs> the reason is because lots of these questions have emerged out of Susan's class that she was teaching over in the summer that, that Nick was um, a part of. And so we just... Susan's really good at tackling challenging questions. That's, yes. <laughs> that's what we realised. Right. So. <laughs> Um, so, so, so we're going to talk about sort of spirituality and spiritual practices, um, and those have been significant points of discussion in the past twenty years. But it has sort of become a bit deconstructed and detached from religion, more specifically Christianity. Do you want to share how how do you define spirituality? Well, thanks, Claire. There there are lots of definitions of spirituality out and about. Um, in the class this summer, we used a few definitions. One, I really like, it's Alistair McGrath's, spirituality is all about the way in which we encounter and experience God mm. and the transformation of our consciousness and our lives as a result of that encounter and experience. Spirituality is about the internalization of our faith. It means allowing our faith to saturate every aspect of our lives infecting and affecting our thinking, feeling, and living. Mm. So it is, in short, how we understand and live our faith. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I like that idea of what is it, infecting and affecting. Yeah, that's a that's a good, like it's sort of like it's like, oh, it's like in you, you know, like the, I think of an infection, it's like it's in every part of your body. So is that, right. yeah, that's a, yeah. 
kind it's, of and it seems like though spirituality uh, today can take on many different forms and understandings, and as Claire stated, it kind of has become detached from religion, from Christianity. Mm. Do you think that spirituality is seen by the church or by Christians as a positive thing or a negative, negative term? I Do think it depends on, on the church yeah. and sort of the intellectual culture, theological culture around the church. Mm. In some places, it's very much a positive. Mm-hmm. Churches that consider themselves very seeker friendly. Right. Um, spirituality in the last 30 years or so has become a term that people who aren't at all confident of what they believe religiously. feel comfortable with. So churches like that embrace the word spirituality as as giving a broad welcome to people Mm -hmm. who then can come into the church and learn more about the religion and about theology. Mm -hmm. But then other churches are wary of it um, because of those reasons. Yeah. Right. That it can become detached and ungrounded from texts, communities, um, theology, mm-hmm. history. And wow. you hear that kind of critique from all the major religions. Mm-hmm. You hear that from religious Buddhists, for instance, about mindfulness. Right. Which has been kind right. of extracted uh-huh. from the religion where it was embedded in texts and history and communities and teachers. Um, and now is sort of like vitamin, vitamin M Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. Right. So there's yeah, that danger. Yeah, yeah, you can just kind of pick and choose kind of what you want from different religions. Do you think that spirituality, though, has become or seen more as like an individualistic experience or a, a corporate one? Well, the culture is so consciously individualistic mm. and unconsciously deeply networked. Um, Mm. we're so embedded in the habitus of our culture. We're just not aware of it. We think we're all very individualistic. Mm -hmm. And so with spiritual practices, we tend to um, adopt them in a more individual fashion, I think. But with many of our habits, we adopt them because they're part of the the culture in which Mm. we're Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about people who might not have even thought about this concept of spiritual practices. And so there's obvious ones that you might think, okay, I think prayer falls into that category and maybe worship falls into that, maybe Sabbath. Are there like are there set spiritual practices or is it like can lots of things be a spiritual practice? Like how do we how do you define kind of that like a spiritual practice per se? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh it's helpful to notice what one does regularly right hmm. orients you towards god toward your deeper self and towards others in love mm-hmm. that may be a practice on the list created by some you know great thinker in the spirituality tradition yeah or it may be something um more idiosyncratic so i knew a pastor who between his home and his church went over speed bumps and it became a kind of rosary. Mm. And over each bump, he said a particular kind of prayer 
leaving the work of the home behind and taking up the work of the church. And then huh. he did it in reverse, going home. On his way home. Interesting. Wow. So that was a definite spiritual practice or discipline. Right. But it isn't, you know, it doesn't appear in a book. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was... Um, I was aware of a church in Vancouver that was doing a series on spiritual disciplines and there were a whole bunch of spiritual disciplines that I'd thought about or spiritual practices, both, yeah. And um, one of them was on self-care. I remember thinking, self-care is, I mean, would we do we call that a spiritual practice? Is that like, how do we, how do we understand that? Anyway, I came to, I came to my, uh, I was humbled because actually I came to kind of understand yeah, self-care could be understood as a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice. Anything that's sort of like, um, you know, it's this sort of means of grace kind of idea, isn't it? It's those sorts of things where we might encounter Christ in those things. And like the speed bump thing is the like, oh, yeah, I, I guess I could see how that could be, you know, could mm-hmm. be seen as that. And they were they were kind of busting all the categories. Like for me, just kind of like, yeah, they were thinking about all sorts of things as spiritual practices. That I had well, I would think all spiritual practices would be, would have a part of them that is self-care. Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So with that, because there seems to be a plethora today of spiritual practices, both individual and corporate and maybe a little more pluralistic in how we pick and choose, what, what do you think the goal then in spiritual practices and maybe more specifically communal spiritual practices Well, I think the goal of spiritual practices for Christians is Matthew 22, 37, to love God with all our hearts, souls, and minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I really think that's the goal of spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. They're not an end Mm -hmm. in and of themselves. They are a vehicle of grace. They're a means of grace, a Mm -hmm. way of knowing God, following Jesus, loving the other, mm-hmm. getting to know our own selves better for the sake of confession and receiving God's love. Yeah. I, lo- I do love that means of grace kind of thing. It's just uh, such a good way to sort mm-hmm. of think about it um, and kind of have it infect you kind of thing. Um but so if we're thinking about, and you sort of you sort of alluded to this kind of idea that where our um, our communities and our and our culture and our practices do sort of shape our worldview, you know, um, and maybe sometimes more than we think. So our communities and our practices, but sometimes we think of worldview um, and doctrine as or reasoning as the foundation for what we think and and believe. So do you want to kind of talk to us a little bit about? about that. Yeah. Talk to us more about that. Yeah. Well, I think the postmodernist view is that uh, our understanding of reality, our worldview is very much shaped by embodiment being in a Mm. social world, a particular location in the social world. Uh, our worldview is very much shaped by that. I was recently watching this. Um, they found the footage for something called the Summer of Soul, which mm-hmm. was a primarily African-American music celebration, the same summer as Woodstock. Oh, mm-hmm. And it was eclipsed by Woodstock. And so no one paid much attention to it. 
And in the middle of the um, celebration, all these really famous uh, African-American musicians, thousands of people listening to them in New York City, um, there was the moonwalk, the first uh, walking on the moon. Mm -hmm. And they interviewed some of the people and they said, oh yeah, that's, you know, we care more about spending money on giving people homes and feeding people. Mm. So I had a very different worldview than I in a middle-class home watching men walk on the moon and yeah. think what a great American achievement. Mm. So yeah. in, in some regard, what you're saying is that our, and that kind of goes into maybe our felt, needs and values and desires really play into our actual practices or what our, our spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. I wonder too, like as a global perspective as well, you know, that you have the North American desires and felt needs as in our, in our human nature understanding, but it may be different in other places. So I guess maybe in the North American context, what do you think the tendencies or the needs in our spiritual practices do we most attend to? Maybe in our gatherings or even in as, as individuals? Well, I think in our gatherings, the sort of unconscious need we uh, are affected by is self-presentation. Mm. Oh, interesting. So I've noticed this in small groups and churches, and I've pretty much almost all my life been part of some small fellowship group yeah. uh, related to church. And there's, there are things that people share for prayer and there are things that they don't. Right. Mm. So they don't share the things for prayer that they feel would make people, you know, like pity them mm. or judge them, mm. but they share the more neutral things like my mother's in the hospital. Right. Pray for my mother. They don't say last night I got drunk and bent the fender on the car. Mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. because there isn't this the degree of confidentiality like in a 12-step group right mm -hmm. hold that kind of confession yeah yeah in some regards then a 12-step group or an AE meeting might have a more christianly spiritual practices than actual churches Definitely in terms of confession, it seems like it, you you would sorry Susan well it's kind of pluses and minuses isn't mm. it because mm. you don't get to know the people in your 12-step group except in that context. Mm. Right. So you don't go to their um, kid's wedding. Uh, you don't uh, get together for dinner. You don't meet their family. Mm. But confession has always been understood as needing protection, right? In the Roman Catholic yeah. Church, it's done in a box with a yeah. door mm -hmm. and you don't really see the face of the person who listens to your confession and that person is vowed to the highest order of secrecy our mm. culture allows it kind of gets me it kind of gets you thinking i'm just thinking about the practice of confession gets yeah. me to think about this then the kind of the importance of the communal like the communal aspect of that practice and as you say it's like we're, there there are some there's because of the the kind of desire for what self not self preservation. What did you say? Self um, presentation. Presentation um, mm -hmm. that you that you sort of we it's it kind of 
hinders our practice of confession, maybe, mm-hmm. would you say? Yeah, I think so, because it does feel like self-presentation preserves self. You know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's, what's wonderful about scripture is that the uh, disciples really stepped into the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is real. Yeah. And yeah. so we hear stories of them making terrible mistakes. Mm-hmm. We know that Peter denied Christ. Peter probably had something to do with the, the telling of that story. And, and there it is, in, in yeah. no way diminishing uh-huh. the goodness of Peter. Mm. Yeah, right. right. We're on the Peter's don't hold that level of forgiveness, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, are there that I mean, and we'll get to maybe some other communal practices, but that we're on the subject of confession, because I do think it is a big one that the the Catholic Church has done for many years in a way that's set up and structured. Are there there experiences that you've had or or been in church settings or even structurally that churches have set up in the Protestant tradition that you've seen confession work really well? Where I've seen it um, in a really exemplary fashion has been in black churches. Right. Where some where they do have a time, some of these churches where people stand up and ask for prayer mm-hmm. and they just lay it out there mm-hmm. saying the kinds of things that I wouldn't say right. in my church community, but um, that's where I've seen it. Yeah, and it's also a part of spiritual direction. So I've witnessed it in yeah. spiritual direction groups. Right, which are more like twelve-step kinds of groups with that kind of confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also one-on-one in spiritual direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I makes think sense. we all should strive for more of that in all yeah. churches. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder too, kind of thinking about kind of corporate confessions, you know, so we're mm. very aware, at, you know, here in Canada right now of um, the church's implicit kind of responsibility in um, the residential school system here in Canada mm-hmm. and sort of the need for like a corporate confession and a corporate reconciliation and those kinds of things. So it's sort of like, I, I don't, I don't know if one thing feeds into the other, but does, does sort of, uh, I don't know, the kind of the modeling of a corporate right. confession as, as the body of Christ kind of stimulate uh, an individual confession, like, oh, us, where, where is a whole group saying we confess that we were wrong in this situation? You know, I wonder, yeah. does that, does that kind of fuel individual confession? I don't know. Just a, yeah. I hope so. I, I hope I mean, so. Certainly here in the United States, the churches are, are so aware now of the Christian church's complicity in structural racism from mm-hmm. before we became a country. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's that there does seem to be more, yeah, more of a corporate awareness. Um, and so wondering, oh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that sort of plays itself out, whether it does help in cultures, you know, communities of confession, mm-hmm. um, of mm-hmm. individual confession. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so then like, so sort of speaking about this kind of the kind of balance of the corporate and the individual, um, do you think our pr- spiritual practices are actually an individual choice? And in, like talk to us more about how social settings do impact those practices. 
Well, I think there's a, always a blend of socialization and choice. Right. So I grew up in an Episcopal church. I was socialized to look up. Everything went up. It was a Gothic church. So um, I thought God was up. Mm. And before God, I would bow down and kneel. So I was socialized into that, but it became very embodied and uh, powerful for me. Mm -hmm. I think places like Regent and New College, which I'm involved with too, help people become more reflective about both theology and spirituality. Mm -hmm. What are they believing about God and why, and how does it accord with scripture? Mm -hmm. And how are they living their faith? Yeah. And I, th- I think for somewhere like Regent, something it's like something like food. I don't know if your experience. I mean, COVID's been a bit weird. It has like there hasn't been a lot of food shed, but you, like a community like Regent, food's a big deal, and having meals together and that sort of hospitality and like so you sort of get you do start to get socialized into the fact that having meals together is somehow tied up with what it means to be a Christian, you know. Yeah. And so, but you might not all communities would think like that, but a kind of we have soup together every Tuesday and there's, you know, like that you sort of become socialized and you can't leave Regent without thinking, right. I guess, I guess food matters, you know, like food and hospitality. And yeah. So. Right. I think that's wonderful because a problem with spirituality is it can become too disembodied. Yeah. Yeah. And sharing food, singing together, Mm. things like that bring the whole person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. You know, we cu- we've kind of touched on the you you kind of described this the social theory in the sense that the transcendence in which you experienced in your church setting. Claire kind of touched on the food of the relational piece, both with a desire to meet that goal of loving God and loving others, experiencing God and experiencing others, knowing God and knowing others. Are there other? I mean, there's a plethora, but do you think there are, are a particular like? These for sure should be our communal practices. Well, I think prayer and worship Mm. are foundational. And and I think the table is also. I think um, listening, storytelling and story listening Mm. are also pretty foundational. Mm. Yeah. We're, We're... you know, we're people of the word, people of the mm. book. We we learn about our faith through stories. Yeah. Stories that have been written in our sacred texts, but stories written since then and stories we live and hear from other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that practice of testimony, isn't it? In, yeah. in the kind of history of the church of the, the yeah, the, as the, practice of testimony being the place in which we encounter God and encounter others mm-hmm. in the telling of our stories and seeing God at work helps us helps us see God God's activity in the world mm. right other than just in our own personal life yeah. yeah and it kind of fuels and in some ways I, I don't know if this is what a, I think this I don't know maybe this is what a practice does it's like I as I hear you Susan talk about how Christ has met you in a certain way right. in that very everyday tricky relationship or you know tricky situation or whatever I then start to pay attention mm-hmm. in a different way to the spirit's work in my own life so there's that there's that edification and the kind of mutuality 
of the shared, like it's it's you telling your story, but in a communal context, which actually helps, hopefully helps me to see Christ at work in my own story. Right. Um, and yeah. It's beautiful. And so the more we can listen to stories that stretch our hearts to the better. So right. across boundaries, across differences. Mm. And right. that's what a church ought to offer. Yeah. A church ought to be a place where um, people of all kinds are welcomed. Mm-hmm. And there's no hierarchy around the table. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always funny, the thing about testimony, sometimes you think you often it's kind of, and, and that kind of this made me think when you're saying listening to different people, it means listening to hard stories that maybe don't have a happy ending either. Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because like, that kind of, and sometimes it's the in the middle of it, kind of moment rather than the, and now everything's fine, you know, and now, you know, and now it's all wrapped up and it's fine, but actually then kind of seeing God at work in the, like right now and in the, I'm not sure where God's leading. I'm not sure what God's doing here, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of being able to sit with that ambiguity as well. Sorry to interrupt this wonderful conversation, but Claire Perini has something really important she'd like to share with you. Thanks, Nick. I do have something very important to say. Firstly, it's to say thank you to the number of people who listen to the podcast and they they like the podcast so much that they send us emails to let us know or little donations of cashola. Mm. So um so thank you for those who are who have been supporting the podcast, but if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been thinking, oh, "I wonder how Nick gets paid." <laughs> no. <laughs> Cut, Cut that, that out. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've appreciated some of the conversations that we've had, we would love you to to let Regent know by sending us an email or sending us a donation. And you can do that on the Regent College website if you go to rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-G-N-T dot net forward slash wow. give. What a great... American, North American accent. Or like some sort of weird <laughs> hybrid accent. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. And if you do give a donation, would you please tell them the podcast sent you? Thanks for listening and for your support. We hope you enjoy the rest of our conversation. What? So thinking about as we're, you know, we're all kind of, I was going to say we're emerging from COVID, but I don't think we are emerging from COVID. I don't know how to think about where we are with COVID right now. But, um, you know, we've all been, we've been online. Churches have been online and spiritual practices are being done online. People have had different opinions about whether they come to the table at their own kitchen table with their own juice and wine or whether they can only do that <laughs> in other ways. You know? So there's been all sorts of talk about how we sort of do sort of experience our spiritual practices. Do you want to, how do you, how have you understood sort of online church as impacting our practices as communities of faith? Uh, I found it hard personally yeah. to worship um online yeah it's mostly the problem is me i have mm. a hard time maintaining my attention yeah on my phone or on a screen yeah and a large part of worship for me has been in the last decade or so the the visual of seeing other people praying yeah that's really come to be almost the most powerful aspect of corporate worship for me. Mm. And so I don't, I don't get to do that. You get to see that. 
But yeah. the small groups I've been part of that are held in a prayerful way, so a spiritual direction group or the spiritual exercises, those have been prayerful, mm-hmm. worshipful, deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And because in some ways then you do see other people praying, don't you? Yeah. And that's that's the difference between the sort of like the streamed experience versus the clunky Zoom experience where someone, you know, unmutes their microphone at the wrong time right. and, you know, um, but there is – yeah, there's that's that's there's there's that two. I think we're seeing two sorts of online too, aren't you? And I think this is. I'm guessing that group is more a, a Zoom kind of group, the direction groups. Yeah, versus yeah, the group. Yes, yeah, 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 and just the difference that that is in terms of our engagement with each other and practices and things. Yeah. So what has struck me in a positive way is the faithfulness of people throughout mm. the pandemic. They do keep showing up, even yeah. though it's not as fulfilling as being together would be. Yeah. I find that moving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because people are ultimately mm. longing for for community, for belonging, to be yeah. known. And yeah. uh, even if that is over Zoom or online, mm-hmm. and hopefully more and more in person. Mm-hmm. But And it's interesting how you how – that's a really good example because I think we can be like, ah, oh, I feel disconnected from church online. I don't like, I'm the same with you. It's like, it's hard for me to engage, but then you do have like these little beautiful zoom moments or something where you're like, oh, I feel, I actually do feel connected to these people. I, I do want to turn up and kind of be with them in some way, mm-hmm. even though it's, it's, it's different. And for some people, I think there are some churches that are realizing there's actually folks who haven't haven't been able to come to church for the longest time, mm. um, but we didn't really think about we didn't think about engaging them, and now they've they've got a space where they're actually they can connect. Maybe folks who are older and not able to kind of you know come and participate in the same way. Um, yeah, yeah. And I can tune into my church when I'm traveling or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The, that's right. The other piece too I've heard in many churches and contexts is actually knowing more people in their congregation, in their church, um, people who they wouldn't normally talk to or be in conversation with. Because when you're in person, you go to people who you're familiar with or who you know, which isn't a bad thing. But being in Zoom, and I know many groups have done breakout rooms and stuff, you're forced into groups and maybe at tables per se, virtually, that you wouldn't normally. Yeah which I think battles kind of against the church being primarily filial or familiar and, and ultimately insular. Um, and I wonder, Susan, if you want to touch on this too, because it's a, it's a challenge for many churches and groups to become insular and focused on our own individual needs or our church needs. I, are there spiritual practices, um, and I think you mentioned some, already the the art of listening kind of, but are there, are there spiritual practices and even more in depth you want to share in which we can combat our churches and, and faith communities becoming insular? Mm. Yeah. I think it's something the church has to always be attending to the, the care of the body and then the missional aspect of being open to the world and some churches emphasize one at the, yeah. the neglect of the other. and But 
so there's that that continuum. Mm-hmm. But there's also the fact that churches, was it Martin Luther King Jr. who said that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in the United mm-hmm. States? Mm-hmm. So there's that too, that people go to churches where they feel comfortable and mm-hmm. and and I know some large parachurch organizations that work with university students mm. have found what's most effective is having groups um, that are specifically um, for a particular ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So they've chosen mm-hmm. something that to us would look more insular mm-hmm. for the sake of depth. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think it's always a matter of discernment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do we do want to have people feel welcome and known enough that they could be more confessional, could mm-hmm. examine their own hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we also want those hearts to be stretched. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's good. It's kind of a both and because I was discussing with a friend who's from from Chile and and speaking in your native language is like speaking in your heart language. And so being able to have a place for that in our churches even and help develop the, those communities where you can share your heart language, your 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 native language might be really important and significant mm. and and which is an interesting concept cuz diversity and you know multiculturalism is really important and is part of the kingdom of God, but there is a place yeah. maybe where you do have I don't know if you want to call it exclusivity but yeah, so that's really interesting, but also being willing to be stretched, and and uh, and know others outside even of your of yeah. your context too. That's so good. it seems like in our conversation we keep circling around the advantage of small groups within the larger whole. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So small groups for like you were saying, Nick, those uh, Zoom rooms. Mm-hmm. as part of worship or suddenly you're put in a room with people you don't know very well yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but there might also be small fellowships that mm-hmm. have a particular focus so it might be ethnic but it might also be circumstantial mm-hmm. like, like a lot of churches have groups for people who've been widowed or right people who are divorced or people who are university students mm-hmm. so i think cultivating the practices of the whole mm. and also attending to these uh, small group practices at the same time can, can be very healthy. Yeah. yeah. So some yeah. of the particularities kind of giving the, the space for those things. Yeah. It's, there- that, yeah. It's always, it's always such a delicate balance because it's like, Oh, you don't want to kind of be like, this is for them and this is for them. And this is because then how do you sort of, and that's what you're sort of saying. How do you not become then frag so fragmented that you're not an integrated whole have you seen that done well because there's definitely some pushback at the moment in kind of different church kind of conversations around well we don't want our church to become just for young families or because then Mm. all everyone else feels left out or um just a just a congregation of folks that are retired or you know something like that so how do you I mean I guess that means your congregation is is more diverse but then within that you've got the parts have you seen people anyone do that well where they've maintained the the whole and the particulars? I work with a lot of pastors. So I do hear about some churches doing yeah. a good job of it. And it partly related to staffing. Right. Mm. Yeah. So they have a sufficiently diverse staff that there's a person 
who connects with these each of these smaller groups mm-hmm. helps also cultivate the whole of the community life. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's almost allow, and it's almost I wonder too, kind of allowing the voices of those individual groups to have space within the whole too, you know, so that you're, you're hearing from the widowed person and you're hearing from the single woman, you're hearing from the divorcee, you're hearing from the kids, you know, you're sort of, you're hearing from the guy from Chile, you know, like you sort of, you are sort of where you've, you, you are actually then within the whole, those voices are being heard as well as then in the, in the parts. It's very dynamic. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really about, listening to the spirit because yeah. I think the spirit really wants to weave that mm-hmm. that depth of the personal experience in a safe connection, but also that heart stretching mm-hmm. experience of being part of a diverse community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where people in a church congregation might feel different about the value of diversity and the importance of listening to the spirit and people are sensing the spirit say different things, whether it's about kind of aspects of diversity, whether it's about whatever, it could be any number of things. But like how you're a spiritual director, you're good at helping discern the spirit. Where, how do, what are you doing? Where do you, how do you sort of discern the spirit together and the movement of the spirit together mm. in, a, in a diverse context? Well, I think it's important to have gatherings where different voices are heard and they pray together and get to know one another. But I don't think it's about always coming to total consensus. Right. Hmm. I think I think yeah. it's important to be breaking bread with the person you disagree with about something that may be important. Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think the early church shows people doing that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a mistake to think that if everyone's listening to the spirit, suddenly we're going to all be singing the same note. I think it's going to be far more symphonic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that the consensus is consensus is not necessarily the end result of us listening to the spirit together. Yeah. Oh, that's good. There's lots well, to think about there. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Right. It's challenging, but I think it's really important and significant. And tough for leaders to then navigate that, isn't it? Sort of because yeah. it might mean you're sort of you're moving forward with one note in the symphony while the other notes are, you mm. know, not yeah, not playing as loudly at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Karen mm-hmm. Allen wrote once, and I paraphrase, that community isn't easy. In every community, there's going to be the person you least want to be with as was the case in jesus's community wow <laughs> and he he continued and and i may well be that person yeah wow it's so good it's so good so good but so challenging at the same time <laughs> exactly <laughs> absolutely yeah oh man speaking about jesus um did yeah. you see him did you see him kind of do we see him distru- disrupting the spiritual practices of his day do you want to sort of talk about that a bit yeah well we've been talking about table fellowship and he had that with people that others thought he ought not to have it with right right Right. he disrupted hierarchies and understandings of inclusivity and exclusivity all the time and the practices associated with those he um 
he challenged the notion of Sabbath, any time in which people place a practice over and above love and mercy, he challenged that. The practice is the means of grace, of love, of opening our hearts to God. Yeah. It's never the ultimate thing. Right. It's not what we're aiming for. Yeah. It's it's the structure. It's like the the bark of the tree. Mm. It helps the xylem and phloem and all of that move through the tree and and then sprout things and bear fruit and roots sink down. It's, it's a structure that makes all that possible. Mm. So it's important to kind of inventory our practices and yeah. see if they are in fact channels for grace or if they've become idols. Because they can become convoluted in some sense where we... Mm-hmm just focus on the practices and kind of neglect or that m- maybe they're not even allowing us to love God and to love others as they were meant to. Um, so even being allowing to be flexible and to change, that's, I feel like your posture, Susan, is so very much open-handed and, and, and spirit-led in that sense. And uh, a word maybe for many of our churches and church leaders and congregations to be open-handed mm-hmm. Um in the midst of our, our spiritual practices mm-hmm. and what we, what we uphold, what we adhere to, what we mm. do on a regular basis. We've, we've talked a bit, I mean, about listening, I guess. And I know that you're a spiritual director and you do a lot of listening. <laughs> um, but how do you see as like more of a communal spiritual practice in in listening in our in our weekly gatherings do you feel like do you feel like that's a neglected piece in our gatherings in our communal gatherings yeah i think it can be i think there has to be a real commitment to it and a constant awareness of whether we are really mm-hmm. listening to the other mm-hmm. sometimes we're just waiting to say what we have to say. Yeah. We're not really listening. And even, I mean, even among spiritual directors, um, converse, you know, just casual conversation can become very ping pongy, you know, like I, you know, my dog is sick and I'm really concerned about my dog. Oh my goodness. My cat died last week. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I think that sometimes we see that when we're, we're talking about an issue as well. So say it's like, I feel like this about this thing. And we're sort of, and then this person says, yeah, but I feel this. And it's like, well, and it's the same sort of thing, even with things that are really hard to talk about, we do sort of ping pong and just bounce our own thoughts back against the other person without actually engaging, without letting, without kind of, yeah, reserving our own comments and just being able to listen and then take, I guess that's part of it, isn't it? Is taking the taking turns of like listening and talking and so that you actually give yourself the space and the other person the space to actually listen. One thing I teach is to, um, to, to say something that shows the other that you have actually heard. Mm-hmm. And then the other can correct you and say, no, that's not exactly what I meant. 
and then stick with it until it's clear that you have heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's that very, it's deep, it's deep listening, isn't it? Like it, because that's, yeah, you're, you're not just I, listening to the surface. And I've heard that's helpful in deep relationships also, such as marriage or other mm-hmm close friendships and friendships yeah they have it takes a little more effort and intentionality and sometimes i think in our church gatherings or our gatherings in small groups it's it's a little bit safer i guess and not as much effort to have to enter into those conversations so that ping pong conversation um yeah i can i can definitely relate with it and mm-hmm. feel somewhat convicted even <laughs> to to yeah, be more too. intentional to be willing to enter those waters of somewhat un- unsafety or maybe vulnerability because having to enter in and listen to others. Yeah. Um, yeah well, ping pong good. is great fun too. Yeah. It is. Right. <laughs> it's totally yeah. scintillating to, to be <laughs> yeah. one of those fast paced ping pong. Ping pong. Is, that a, is that a technical definition? Because I, I feel like that's, <laughs> do you teach that in your classes? You, it's I say the, it. The yeah. ping pong method. Yeah. Yeah. The ping pong method. <laughs> It can be really fun. Yeah, it can. But it's different from getting to know the person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes you were listening as well with a either with for what you want to say next because you've just got an opinion you need to share, or for like if you're if you find conversation anxiety producing, you're thinking, oh, what question will I ask? Next, you know that's that sort of thing of feeling like, oh, I need to make sure that I've got another question, so then you're not actually listening because if you're just listening then the next question will come easily right. enough like on right. a podcast you just got to yeah. keep listening exactly <laughs> going on you two are doing a great job well that's why i love the the podcast conversation and it kind of leads me to think and maybe this is kind of contentious but do you think that in our actual church gatherings that this should be our and what i'm thinking of is maybe our sunday church gatherings is that listening should be more of a part of our Sunday services and experiences? Or do you for, do you perceive this as to be more of a small group or after at the table? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. What, what I know some churches, you know, they've gone to, instead of the pew mentality or, or the rows, you know, you have a circular table and you you actually see the people or even setting up a room where you're more in a, in a circular circle. It's a little less efficient, but I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Like, is this actually this idea of this experience of listening to one another really well and intentionally and knowing one another? Is it on the Sunday service or do you see this outside of the actual service experience? Well, what you are describing is more creative kind of in the round. Mm-hmm. services i'm assuming those are mostly in small churches mm-hmm. because uh, i go to a large church it wouldn't work very mm-hmm. well in a large church um and therefore my large church needs to have more of that in small group form mm-hmm. yeah um claire mentioned testimony testimony can be done mm. in a large church you know forward facing yeah setting but it and it is listening and it is storytelling yeah it's not particularly mutual but i think it can be significant mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we 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 did some testimonies at regent this last fall and winter in chapel because we weren't mm-hmm. together in person and so and it was really interesting 
Like we're going to keep, we did it because we were, on, we were online because it's like you can't turn to the person next to you and have a bit of a chat to them because they might not be here. They might be in another mm. country, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But we were like, actually, this we need to keep doing this when we're back in person. Mm. But the level of kind of honesty and vulnerability that people shared was stuff that you would never have heard, I don't think, in a, in a or you might not have heard, in a, in a regular gathering with people, everyone in the room. So there was something about Zoom, this is going on another tangent, there was something about Zoom that actually allowed mm. a deeper level of vulnerability in that testimony kind of thing. So it would be interesting yeah. to see. We'll try and we'll do it this fall and winter as well and see yeah. what happens, see what, like how does being in a room with 100 people change what you say and, you know, but it, but it is there is something, that there is a listening and a knowing that comes out of that that you wouldn't get. Yeah. You don't, don't get, get otherwise. Yeah, Zoom does does create a deeper vulnerability, but partly because you're protected. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You mm-hmm. finish saying your testimony and then you leave the meeting. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to have people coming up to you and saying, gee, that really caught my attention. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, exactly right. That's that's yeah, you just you just yeah, you don't have to deal with anyone just like whoop, close, close the computer. Um, yeah. I wonder too that those testimonies bring vulnerability and then in turn kind of as you shared earlier Claire that they um yeah, they inspire and even allow others then to share vulnerably yeah. that maybe mm-hmm. they wouldn't have had before if it was just a teaching or preaching from, from the pastor or leadership. So mm-hmm. that's good. This, yeah, this has been really, really wonderful. Yeah. Susan. So it's always good to talk to Susan. It's always, I don't, I always, I don't know how you feel, Nick. I always just feel so calm. And oh yeah, just, for sure. <laughs> it's always just such a joyful and mellow, like just a lovely, mellow, yes. deeply enjoyable experience feel at rest (laughs) and at peace talking with you susan so thank you so much yeah thanks it's always good to have you yeah we'll let's have let's do it again sometime okay thanks for listening to the regent college podcast follow us on facebook instagram and twitter to discover more about regent college its upcoming events conferences courses and more content like this visit rgnt.net that is r g n t dot net